You're listening to sermon audio from Providence Baptist Church. Be sure to check out pbcfrankfort.org for more information. If you have a Bible, if you turn to First, oh, not First Corinthians, Romans twelve, Romans twelve three through five, uh, it, it is a passage that's very similar to First Corinthians twelve, which is where we were a few weeks ago, uh, where Paul was talking about spiritual gifts and the, using the imagery or the metaphor of the human body and how. Uh, There are different functions of the human body, but it all makes up one body, and then uh, how we then take the spiritual gifts that God has given us and and use those to serve, uh, encourage, and care for one another. And so this is a very similar passage, shorter in terms of the number of verses, but very similar uh, to 1 Corinthians 12. And one of the things that I've I've noticed, and uh, Corey and I were doing some recording Tuesday night for the next podcast that will come out, and uh, talking about some of the inspiration of preaching series and things like that, and I said to him, one of the things that I do personally, all scripture is important, but when specific teachings are repetitive in the scriptures, I think then we need to take a a little deeper look at those. If it's something that continues to make its way in through the scriptures, uh, then that's something that we should be looking at going, okay, God really wants us to get this. And, and here in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians and in, in, uh, in uh, Peter's first letter, he talks about gifts and using them for the body of Christ. Like this is something that is woven throughout the New Testament letters quite often, this understanding of what it means to uh, serving each other in this way. So continuing in our series of the one another's, we're going to be looking here at Romans 12, 3 through 5. Now, we'll read a passage in just a second, but in the two verses preceding this, Paul calls upon the Romans, the church in Rome, and calls upon us to offer ourselves up as living sacrifices. And that, that seems like an oxymoron, right? Particularly when you think about the terms of what a sacrifice meant back then. A sacrifice meant offering up an animal that would be killed. And a dead animal is kind of useless unless you plan on eating it, Right? <laughs> But really, a sacrifice is just something that is offered in our context, offered to God. In in other religious contexts, it's offered to gods or deities. But a sacrifice is something that's offered uh, for the acceptance before that God, before our Lord. And alternatively, it can be a sacrifice that is rejected. Going throughout the Old Testament teaching, lots of sacrifices God said would not be accepted by him because of the way they were brought. So ultimately in Christ, all our sacrifices are accepted before God because they are accepted in Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. He says to do this by offering up your bodies, which simply means the the whole of you, all of you. And it's really, I think, Paul's kind of referring back to Jesus' words of take up your cross and follow me. To take up your cross meant to die. A sacrifice means to kill. And so we are to kill ourselves. We are to die to self that we may then offer up the remainder of ourself, which is made new in Christ Jesus as a sacrifice before the Lord. So it's in that kind of context that we pick up in verse 3. So read with me, if you will, 3 through 5 out of Romans 12. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned, 
For as, one, as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. So there's two points I want to bring home today before we have our Lord's Supper. One is that the first thing Paul starts off with in verse 3 is that a proper mindset is needed for us to follow what he says, okay? And he, he gives us two really very distinct commands. The first one is in a negative sense. Look there again at verse 3. By the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, uh, among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. So it's a command written in a negative sense, meaning it's a command telling us something not to do. And, it, and it's, again, going back to this idea of repetition through Scripture, right? It reminds me a lot of what Paul wrote to the church at Philippi in chapter 2. I'm going to pull verses 3 and 4 out as an example. We were in this passage in Philippians 2 last year, I think in November. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves, and let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. So connecting Philippians 2 to Romans 12 and this idea of not thinking too highly of ourselves helps us to see this thread of humility that weaves throughout Paul's writings. And that humility becomes a mark of Christian spiritual maturity. And humility is, is a humble stance specifically in the body of Christ. It's a humble stance among one another. Now, Paul's writing here in Romans 12, and he's dealing with the issue of spiritual gifts. We're going to look at those in just a moment. But Andrew Murray has a really short, powerful writing, uh, a book on humility. Uh, if you're interested in, in learning more about what the scriptures speak of humility, I would encourage you to, to pick this up. Easy read, short read. And he says this, referring back to this Romans passage. He says, the question is often asked, how can we count others better than ourselves when we see they are far below us in wisdom and in holiness or in natural gifts or in grace received. He says the question proves at once how little we understand what real lowliness of mind or humility is. True humility comes when in the light of God we see ourselves to be nothing and we consent to part away with and cast away ourselves to let God be all. Because from a human perspective, right, we can kind of make natural observations around the people among us. Maybe I know the Bible a little more than this person does. Maybe I serve in a little different way than this person does. Maybe, maybe there's some other area of my walk. I, I do this. And so he says the question naturally kind of comes in our human form. Well, how can I think of others more highly than myself if they're not higher than myself? And he says if you ask that question, it just shows you really don't understand humility. Because true humility is seeing how God has gifted you, seeing where you are in your spiritual maturity and walk, and acknowledging and recognizing that has only come about because of God. It has not come about by your own self-effort. It has not come about because you've put in the hours of study or, or God has given you a greater brain or a mindset or anything else. It's come about because you have abandoned yourself and you've let God take over. And so this humility, this understanding of not thinking of ourselves too highly comes from an understanding that what we have or what we possess or how God is using us has only come from God and his power in our lives. 
So he offers that negative command. Don't think of yourselves any highly, any more highly than you ought to. And then he gives a, a positive command. But to think with sober judgment. So don't think of yourselves in this way. But do think of yourself in this way. What does it mean to, to think with sober judgment? Well, it's a phrase that means sensible. It's a phrase that means wisdom. But very interestingly, it also has this idea of being self-controlled. Matter of fact, when Paul writes to Titus, and he's encouraging Titus in the church to have the, the relationships between the women, the older women and the younger women, and how they're going to teach and learn from one another, and the older men and the younger men. And he says specifically, have the older men teach the younger men to be self-controlled. This word sober judgment, this phrasing here, is the same words that is translated then self-controlled in Titus 2 verse 6. And so it's thinking with self-control. You say, well, what happens if we don't think of ourselves with self-control? Well, I think we fall into self-conceit. When we don't control our thinking, when we don't, when we don't ask, ask God, really, the, it's, the, it's the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Because the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, right? So when we don't think about one another or view one another in that way, but we seek to, with wisdom and self-control, think of ourselves with sober judgment, then we tend not to think of ourselves more highly, than others. It's a negative command and it's a positive command, but they work simultaneously with one another. Let's move on to verses four and five. For what he says then for us is, because in Christ we are many, but also we are one. Look at verses four and five. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Now, we'll, we're going to look at the context of spiritual gifts here in just a moment to kind of sandwich all this together. But he's talking about grace that's been given. In the scriptures, grace, when it's speaking of grace that's available to us through Jesus Christ, which is what we remember today as we take the Lord's Supper, that grace is then extended to the believer in spiritual gifting. The word for the grace of God that comes through Jesus Christ and the word for spiritual gifts are words of the same measure. And so we receive a grace from God through Jesus Christ and then in our spiritual walk and maturity, God continues to bestow that grace upon us through our spiritual gifts. And so what Paul is giving us this understanding here is in this grace that God gives us, there's, there's many different ones, aren't there? We're many members, look again at how he describes it, he's using the, the human body again as an example in verse 4, as in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function, right? If somebody says something to you and you have a hard time uh, hearing them or understanding them, you don't do this, do you? You do this, right? Or if you're looking for something and you're having a hard time focusing in on it, you don't Hold your elbow up, right? You know, you just focus in your eyes. Like all the gifts of our body, all the members of our body have different functions and they rely upon one another to have the whole body function as one. Paul's using the same kind of imagery here to talk about the church. And I want to take a, a quick look at verses six through eight. Again, just so we can kind of get this context that he's talking about. Again, it's very similar to 1 Corinthians 12, a few different gifts here that are listed in 
in 1 Corinthians 12, and it's not the same listing, but look at what he says. Having gifts according to the grace given to us, let us use them in prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts or encourages in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And what I want you to see is, I want you to, and, and if you're a person that marks in your Bible, first of all, that's okay, okay? Secondly, what I want you to do is this. I want you to maybe just do a little squiggly line there for verses 6, 7, and 8 and draw an arrow back up to the ending of verse 4 and that phrase, do not all have the same function. Because it's important for the body of Christ to realize we do not all have the same function. A body of Christ that would be made up solely of teachers might have a lot of head knowledge but they probably wouldn't have very much community involvement. A body of Christ who was made up solely of people who have acts of service as their, as their spiritual gift might be a church, a body of Christ that reaches out into the community quite a bit, but really has no understanding of doctrine or theology or the scriptures. And so it's important within the body of Christ to recognize that all of these things are important, but there's no hierarchy the pastor is not higher than another. The, the teacher is not higher than another. The one who serves is not higher than another. All are functioning in one way to support and to bring the body of Christ to its fruition. And look again at what he says there in verse 5. We don't all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. It's a little different wording today. It doesn't say one another. It says one of another or one in another. But it's the same Greek language behind it. The same Greek understanding that it's reciprocal, it's mutual, it's played out in a community setting. That all of this occurs not because we're isolated individual Christians, but because we are living in a community and a body of faith. And one of the things that's interesting here is when he uses this phrase there at the end of verse 5 of members one of another, it's a phrase that also has this sense of ownership. It has this sense of ownership within the body of Christ, meaning that it's as if I'm to consider you a prized possession, you're to consider me a prized possession, you're to consider the person across the aisle from you a prized possession, the person sitting in front of you, the person sitting behind you, that there's an ownership within the body of Christ that we have for one another. And when I was studying that this week and that came through to me, I thought about when Jesus is asked, what's the great, great commandment, right? First one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. The second one's like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, how do you love yourself as a great possession, don't you? You want to spoil yourself? You want to give yourself the things that you want. You want to do the things that you want to do. And Jesus says you love your neighbor. You love each other. We love each other in the body of Christ in that same way. It's as if I am possessing you, not in a like spiritual possession kind of a thing, but that I have an ownership for you. You have an ownership for me. You have an ownership for one another. And in that, we use the gifts that God has given us to build up the body of Christ. Alyssa has, a lot of you know, and, and I know that she's not the only one even in our own church that deals with this, but she has all these autoimmune issues, right? And so what we've been learning over the years is these autoimmune issues are tricky 
Because what it ends up being is one part of her body that essentially attacks the other. And so they give her a medicine to treat one part of the body that's attacking, and maybe it kind of quells that one for a while, but then another part of her body decides to, to mount up and do a different attack. And sometimes the attacks are the same pain, and sometimes they're different pain, and sometimes they don't have any pain for a while, and then all of a sudden she's in pain constantly. And again, I know she's not the only one that deals with this. Even, even others in our church deal with autoimmune stuff. But I, I asked her this week if I could share that, because to me it's that picture that autoimmune disease is that picture of the dysfunctional body of Christ. That when one part of the body attacks the other, the entire body feels it. When, when one part of her body is not working right, it's not just that one part of the body that hurts. All of her body hurts. Even without autoimmune issues, you can probably identify with that. If I have a toothache... Usually that pain or that discomfort or, or what I feel in my body is not limited to that one place, but it manifests itself in all sorts of places in my body. And so the point with that understanding and that, that analogy is this, that we have this sense of belonging, we have this sense of ownership with one another, and we are to be able to take care of one another. It's, it's the point of the whole series, to encourage, to love, to forgive, to, to bear with one another, to care for one another, to serve one another. Now, you might be thinking as we're walking through this, well, what does all this have to do with the Lord's Supper? Well, now we're going to get to that. What all this has to do with the Lord's Supper is this. What the Lord's Supper serves to remind us is two things. One, that yes, it reminds us of what Christ has done for us. It reminds us of his sacrifice. It reminds us of his faithfulness, of his obedience, of his work on the cross, not only for, for us who have already received, but for any who will receive in the future. It reminds us of God's great work through Jesus Christ. But secondly, it reminds us through this, of this. All of us come to Jesus in the same fashion. All of us come to one table. The preacher and the teacher, the server and the helper, the one who has mercy, the one who has administrative gifts, on and on and on. All come to the same t table. Some don't get invited before others. Some don't get bigger portions than others. All are invited to partake of this remembrance in the same fashion. And all are invited to the kingdom in the same way. And it's important for us to remember it in this sense because the Lord's Supper is not merely about us as an individual. We've kind of done that in our modern day understanding and teaching of the church, right? Is Jesus your Lord and Savior? Have you accepted Christ, right? And then we invite people to the table for you to remember. And all those things are true, but... All of that is done within a larger context, according to Scripture, of the body of Christ. And the body of Christ extends from the local body of Christ to then all of the body of Christ. So there's a body of Christ in Frankfurt. There's a body of Christ in Georgetown. There's a body of Christ in, in Woodford County in Versailles. There's then a body of Christ in Kentucky. Then there's a body of Christ within the United States and a body of Christ globally. And all of that, though we come to it as individuals, it serves as a reminder that there's something bigger than just me. There's something bigger than just you. The New American Commentary stated it this way, coming out of Romans 12. The Christian faith is essentially a corporate or community 
experience. Although each member comes to faith by a separate and individual act of faith, the believing community lives out experience in fellowship with one another. You, you, you serve one another by being in fellowship with one another. You use your gifts for one another by being in fellowship with one another. You join in praise and worship of God with one another. And I'm going to say it, okay? You need to be active in the body of Christ. You need to be active in the body of Christ. You need to be active in the events and the, the things of the body of Christ. Um, Lifeway just researched or just published a research finding this past week um, among evangelicals, okay? And, and I, I'll say the word evangelical has been hijacked a lot, okay? But at its core, the, uh, what it means to be an evangelical is to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and believe in the teachings of the Bible. Like that's at the core of it, okay? And what they found with one question was this, that in this statement, worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for regularly attending church. Now note the statement was not is a valid replacement in seasons where you can't come or in seasons where there's illness or in seasons. It was a valid replacement for regularly attending church. In 2016 to the same statement, evangelicals, 42% of evangelicals agreed with that statement. In 2022, 54%, over half of self-proclaimed evangelicals who trust in Jesus Christ, who trust in the teachings of the Scripture, who trust in the teachings of Scripture that says we are one body and we serve together and we love together and we, we weep together and we laugh together and we worship together and we do all these things together, over half of evangelicals surveyed said, yeah, doing it on your own is acceptable. We, that's wrong, <laughs> That's wrong. And again, I'm not, I'm not su- suggesting that there aren't seasons, there aren't times. There's, there's times with illness. There's times with, with situations in our lives where we maybe have to take a step back or, or aren't able to be as involved. But, but when those times are not in our lives, we are called by the Scriptures to come together. We are called by the Scriptures to be members of one body. Diverse, yes. Diverse in our gifts. Diverse in our opinions. Diverse in our loves and, 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 our, and our loves for different things and hobbies and everything else. Yes, but one body, members of one body, created to bring glory to God. And I love the way Paul weaves it through this passage. Look again, let's read verses 3 through 5 once more. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned Present in one body, we have many members, and the members do not have the same functions. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. And then look at verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. He starts off and says, by the grace given to me. And then he says, by the grace given to us. It's Paul's way of saying to the church at Rome, I am no better than you. God has not saved me in a different way than he saved you. God has not called me to to greater gifts than he's called you to. It's Paul's way of saying we all come to the same table. 
And the same table is what unifies us. I think that's the power of the Lord's Supper. I think that's the power of what we call the communion table. Because it serves to remind us that in a world where everything else seeks to divide us, in a world where everything else seeks to say your opinion in this matters more than their opinion in that, what the Lord's Supper table reminds us is, oh, no, 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 Christian. All come in the same way. All are saved in the same fashion. All will be received in the same glory because of Jesus Christ. So I have two questions for you today as we get ready to remember and observe the Lord's Supper. I usually try to give you something to kind of reflect on as we get ready to pass it out. And and the first one is this. I'd like for you to prayerfully consider what is your role or your responsibility to this body of Christ? Now, I told the praise team this morning when we walked through it together, it's easy for us to kind of default to where we know, right? Oh, I'm a teacher. Oh, I'm a server. I'm a helper. I'm an administrator. I'm this. And, and we should. Like where God has gifted us in those ways, we should default in those ways. But I want you to prayerfully consider it from this perspective today. Is there, are there other gifts? Are there other ways that God has gifted you that maybe you're not using? Let's just be honest for a second. Are there ways that God has gifted you that you've been kind of fearful of using? I feel like God's calling me to do this, but I'm not really sure that God knows what he's talking about. If God's calling you, he knows what he's talking about. So what is your role? What is your responsibility to this body of Christ? And then secondly, in those answers, how can God use you to continue to promote the one body of Christ? How can God use you in your diversity? How can God use you in your gifts? How can God use you in your functions to continue to promote one body of Jesus Christ through this church? Thanks for listening. If you have any thoughts, questions, or prayer concerns, please email us at pbcfrankfurt at gmail.com.